the RCMP arrested Rebel News journalist David Menzies on Monday for attempting to question Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland. A Trillip exclusive reveals nearly every article in the latest issue of the Canadian Military Journal was devoted to critical race theory and disparaging whiteness in the military. Economists tell True North that Canada's 2024 economic forecast is looking very bleak. Hello Canada, it's Tuesday, January 9th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosmin Jurja. And I'm Noah Jarvis. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Rebel News journalist David Menzies was arrested on Monday during a memorial service in Richmond Hill commemorating the victims of Flight PS-752 for attempting to question Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland on a public street. The police officer who arrested Menzies said it was for assaulting a police officer, which he accused Menzies of doing while walking alongside Freeland. Menzies was asking Freeland why the Liberal government hasn't labeled Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps a terrorist entity. The arrest unfolded as Menzies was physically obstructed by an unidentified plainclothes police officer who appears to be with the RCMP. Video footage captures the moment when this situation escalates, with Menzies surrounded by officers and eventually escorted away in a police car. Menzies told True North he was released later without charges. This incident marks the second time Menzies has faced difficulties for attempting to question the Trudeau government. Two years ago, he was accosted by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's bodyguards on a public street in Toronto. So Noah, I'm sure we've all seen the video. Uh, I saw this circulating on X last night. I, I think last time I checked, it had millions upon millions of views and, and it's being shared not only in Canada, but uh, elsewhere. And it is quite a troubling thing to see. While the officer claimed that Menzies assaulted him, it is not quite evident in the video that anything like that took place. And, you know, the charge of assaulting a police officer is quite a serious one that could land one person in prison. But clearly Menzies, from what we know now, was released without any charges. So, Noah, how does this reflect on Canada at large when we see journalists harassed and, and thrown into police cars in handcuffs? Well, I think we don't need to look much further than the reaction to uh, David Menzies being arrested. Many on the right who uh, support Rebel News or just in general uh, find that uh, Menzies' arrest was abhorrent. Uh, believe that, yeah, David Menzies being accosted like this was just a terrible thing and should have happened in a, a, a free and democratic society. We hear stories about how in tin pot dictatorships, uh, journalists are arrested for attempting to question uh, authority and for attempting to question uh, governing minister, government ministers. Uh, but, you know, something like this happening in Canada is just seen as something that uh, Canadians sh shouldn't stand for if it happens to a legacy media journalist. Uh, but if it happens to a journalist uh, who is an independent journalist, uh, if it happens to Rebel News, then it's A-OK. -okay. You don't see uh, CTV journalists and CBC journalists coming out of the word work on Twitter to back 
uh, David Menzies for being, uh, quite frankly, uh, attacked by this police officer who tried to put him in a position uh, to get him arrested. Uh, you don't see these con condemnations of the police's behavior from legacy media journalists. And if you do see a reaction from legacy media journalists, it would just be a scornful, a, a scornful reaction, uh, you know, saying something to the effect that Brooklyn News is not real journalism. So uh, you do see this split uh, between what, you know, your, I think, normal average Canadian uh, believes about uh, journalism and independent journalism and what happened here and what the legacy media uh, perceive happened here. Right. And I think you touch upon something important there. If you support the freedom of the press for one organization, you should support it for all organizations, no matter your personal opinion about specific journalists. And I'm sure there are many people in the legacy media who might not like David Menzies or the Rebel News brand. But regardless, if they don't stand up for when a reporter, somebody out there doing their job, trying to tell a story, gets treated in this way, well, if it happens to them, then perhaps they might not be surprised when other people don't stand up for their own rights. So it's it, it really is a two-way street. And I just like to point out that there were quite a few people condemning this. As you mentioned, I saw some people from the Toronto Sun, but also our own colleague, Andrew Lawton, who also is the president of the Independent Press Gallery of Canada, to which True North journalists are, are all members condemn this in a statement, and I'll, I'll read a little bit from that statement. Lawton said, Police are there to uphold the law and public safety, not to prevent politicians from being asked questions by journalists who the government will not permit to ask questions in official settings. He continued, The independent press gallery calls on police, particularly those tasked with protecting elected officials, to cease the practice of arresting working journalists who are not posing a threat to public safety or breaking the law. Nearly every article in the latest issue of the Canadian Military Journal was devoted to critical race theory and disparaging whiteness in the military, with titles like I'm Not Your Typical White Soldier, interrogating whiteness and power in the Canadian Armed Forces and supporting military families, challenging or reinforcing patriarchy, Canadians might think they were reading radical academic papers and not the Canadian Armed Forces official publication. The articles in the summer 2023 edition assert that the Canadian Armed Forces are inherently founded on the principles of white supremacy, colonialism, and patriarchy. Academics from unrelated fields such as gender, identity, and women's studies advocate for the wholesale adoption of critical race theory to address perceived issues within the military. The recurring theme throughout the articles is that the assertion that the military perpetuates various isms and archies, from patriarchy to ableism, all rooted in white supremacy. A search of the word white found that it appeared 190 times, painting a picture of a military institution deeply embedded and a colonial legacy that allegedly marginalizes racial minorities. So, Cosman, it seems as if radical academic theories that were popularized in the 1970s on universities by the far left are, you know, becoming mainstream and are imbibing not only uh, your typical uh, government institution uh, in the bureaucracy, but the military 
is also facing this reform from doctrinaires who would like to see their uh, proto-Marxist uh, view of race uh, viewed as the mainstream uh, view of race in the Canadian military. So uh, it's just something that uh, as Canadians should be concerned about uh, going forward, that their military is not focused on uh, the national defense, but it is focused on uh, left-wing theories. Absolutely. And, you know, I saw some people say, oh, well, why do you have a problem with certain academic articles in a journal? But that's not simply the case here. These sorts of ideas go on to influence various aspects of training and education of soldiers. It influences various policies within the military. We have seen the military adopt certain directives influenced by this critical race theory ideology. And to me, when we're facing a recruitment and retainment crisis, our military has not been able to keep up with the demand and the ability to man all of its bases and ships and the various operations that we're engaged in. I've seen some statistics that show that recruitment is down about 30%. We're losing new recruits every single year. And I seriously question the strategy of disparaging the main demographic of people who join the military. Let's be frank, I would suspect, and, and I've seen some numbers, but the military is about 75% young white dudes. They, they, even with the high immigration levels, we are not attracting a very diverse, let's say, demographic. And inherently, there's nothing wrong with that. We should cherish the people, no matter who they are, who stand up for the defense of their country. So to go on and on and specifically target a group of people for some perceived, you know, inherent wrong or original sin is outrageous. And it is just so backwards thinking and counterintuitive to the idea that we need a strong and robust military. And to the people that are advocating for the introduction of critical race theory into the military, uh, they would say that they're merely just trying to eliminate racism from the military. And is that not such a bad idea? But uh, the fact of the matter is their goal is not to just eliminate racism. Eliminating racism from the military uh, is a wonderful goal because uh, having great racial division, uh, having you know, such uh, hatreds within the military, such division, within the military is not good for a cohesive uh, military unit. That, that's just a fact. But at the end of the day, uh, there is not some pervasive culture of racism that is rife within uh, the military that I, at least I'm aware of. Uh, the fact of the matter is that they have learned some American-tinted uh, Marxist, light Marxist uh, academic theories uh, of, of the world, and they want to impose their worldview upon the military. The people pushing critical race theory in the military don't realize that treating people differently based on the color of their skin defeats the purpose of the military, uh, which is a quite egalitarian institution in the fact that everyone is subservient uh, to their higher calling, uh, which is to protect Canada. So it, it should be very troubling that uh, critical race theory has made such headway in the military and in all other parts of the federal government. Well, Noah, if you're a hammer, 
everything looks like a nail. And if you're a far left critical race theory ideologue, everything looks racist and colonialist to you. And this is a case of people in in university settings. I mean, the people who wrote this these articles, uh, and I and I encourage all of our listeners to go and 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 read through this piece and actually go to the link to the Canadian Military Journal itself and and just think about what they're saying. Uh, these academics are all from, you know, gender studies, women's studies, etc. And they seem to have a lot of opinions about how soldiers should think and act and behave. And when you look closely, the solutions they propose are essentially re-education programs. They want to create the military in their own image and their own and fashion it to the exact confines of their ideology and and what the, this this sort of like Marxist BS that they picked up throughout their own education. And I'll read a quote here by two of the authors. They go on to say that the military must integrate critical theories and an anti-oppression framework into professional military education and training and into all institutional systems, structures, processes, and procedures. So think about the ego required to say that our ideas, you know, our, our way of thinking should encourage and fashion the reform of an institution as old as the military, an institution that I think has worked throughout most of history, although it does have its flaws. You know, the military is not perfect. They've made mistakes. There are problems there, but it serves a specific purpose. And when you go down a path of dividing people, it's not surprising that nobody wants to join or people are retiring early because they're just quite frankly sick of it. When you're in the military, you are supposed to essentially abandon your identity and become part of a unit. You are a soldier and your role is to follow and execute orders without making mistakes. Because if you make mistakes, your life and your colleagues' lives are on the line. Canadians have little to be hopeful for this year when it comes to the economy and the ongoing affordability crisis, with some economists predicting a recession. True North spoke to a handful of economists who offered their predictions for Canada's economic outlook for 2024. Economists generally agree that Canadians will more than likely be left worse off after 2024 than before, though the degree to which living standards and affordability will deteriorate is debated. Bank of Montreal chief economist Doug Porter said, quote, I don't believe that affordability will meaningfully improve this year, but it also is unlikely to deteriorate so aggressively as it did from 2021 to 2023. The historically high price inflation that Canadians have been seeing in the past few years has tapered off to 3.1% as of November 2023, as the Bank of Canada has been hiking up interest rates to tighten the money supply. 
It is agreed that inflation will more than likely dip below 3% and that the Bank of Canada's official interest rates will edge lower towards the middle of the year. However, economists noted that the damage several years of inflation did to affordability cannot be undone and that we are nowhere close to undoing the damage. As Financial Post columnist Matthew Lau noted, current price levels are about 9% higher than they would have been if the consumer price index had followed its pre-2021 trend. Opinions varied from the belief that a recession may just be avoided and resemble something of a recessionette to views that Canada has already entered a recession which will worsen. There was some disagreement as to the extent to which the federal government's fiscal policy was contributing to Canada's economic woes. So Noah, you know, honestly, it's not very comforting what I've seen from economists. They don't have a pretty picture to paint for the next year at least. And the federal government's solutions have just simply not worked. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has dished out money in various different ways, you know, with the grocery benefit and different other benefits, but they seem to have been band-aids that only temporarily helped people for, you know, one week perhaps. So where do we go from here? Well, I believe that the Trudeau government will either stay on the same tack that they have been staying on for the past eight years in government, or they will do a heel turn and change the way that they're conducting their uh, fiscal policy. But I, I believe the first option is a lot more likely to be pursued by the Trudeau government than the latter, because to diverge so greatly from what you've been doing for eight to nine years just invalidates all that work that you've been doing and really makes the Canadian people uh, look to alternatives who might know what they're doing uh, in terms of running a government and running an economy. The fact of the matter is that the Trudeau government's uh, policies when it comes to ratcheting up uh, the spending by the federal government, especially during the COVID-19 era when budgets ballooned to over double than they had been under the Harper government, when you flood Canadians with money through uh, GST tax credits and the like, you will see an increase in the amount of spending that uh, consumers will engage in and thus an increase in inflation. This is uh, quite frankly s simple economic uh, theory that Christian Freeland and the Trudeau clique should understand, uh, but they have not uh, heeded the advice of uh, many economists over decades of time because uh, perhaps their hubris suggests that uh, they don't need to listen to the economists who have figured out that yes uh, rapid increases in the money supply does lead to inflation which does not uh, help the middle class as the Trudeau government so claims to be the champions of so uh, I don't believe that we're going to see uh, the Canadian economy be getting uh, better anytime soon I think housing prices will remain unaffordable uh, groceries will remain will continue to climb in price, and going forward in the long term, uh, ten to twenty to thirty years from now, economic growth seems to be slowing, and we could be falling behind certain uh, peer competitor countries like Japan or, God forbid, China. That's it for today, folks. Make sure to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Also, make sure not to miss The Andrew Lawton Show later this afternoon exclusively at True North. 
Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news.